This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. I've got a great guest today, Kip Folks, co-founder of Under Armour and serial entrepreneur. We were just chatting a little bit about my Under Armour shirt. You know, Under Armour is a huge supporter and sponsor of the Travis Mannion Foundation. So it's great to see someone that founded this tremendous company that does so much for our organization. Uh, welcome to the well, podcast. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And it's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, you as well. So, you know, I, I follow you on Instagram. So I kind Uh-oh. of, I feel like I know you. I feel like I've, I kind of, well, not know you, but I feel like I kind of get to know a little bit about your world. But one of the things that um, I learned uh, that I didn't capture through your social media presence is that you are uh, the son of a Marine. I didn't know. Yeah. That. That's awesome. So you call yourself a military brat. Um, I am. I, I am as well. Where were you born? I was born in Logan, Utah, when my dad was stationed there after Vietnam. Uh, as a recruiter, he was there for a short period of time. He actually went to Utah State. So my dad's from Montana, um, but I was born in Logan, Utah. Very cool. And so talk to me. I talk a lot about growing up as a military child. Oh. My dad did 30 years in the Marine Corps. And, you know, we moved, I'm sure you did every couple of years, you're in a new spot. And I often talk about, you know, how I really feel like that built up resiliency in me. And I learned it at a, at a young age, not really knowing that I was learning it, being actually angry at not having the same experiences as other kids who got to grow up in the same town for their entire life. Mm -hmm. But I really feel like it shaped me into who I am today. Uh, did you have that same experience? Yeah. So my father's a Marine, Vietnam vet, 36 years. When he retired, he went from the Vietnam War to the first Gulf War. Wow. And so um, every two years, new elementary school, new high school. I think what you keyed on is resilience. During the time, it doesn't feel like resilience. Um, I was pretty good. I'm I, I'm pretty ADHD is pretty rampant with me. So object permanence is something I have. So if it's not right in front of me, I don't think about it. So I, as a kid, I was pretty easy. Like we moved, I was like, all right, cool. Next friends, next lot. Who do I, which playground, who, which person do I beat up on the playground? Let's figure this out. Uh, my brother and I, he's a little bit older. We would be like, all right, we got to beat this guy up. We got to beat this guy up. <laughs> but yeah, it resilience. It creates change as the norm and guess what life is change yeah. so when you learn it at a young age i think you're more apt and i i do work with a lot of people that born and raised in suburbia never left they went to high school then some went to college right down and yeah they struggle through some things that i'm like yeah let's do this like what's the big deal yeah. they really struggle through some 
you know, I remember, and I think my brother was very much like you, like he was always ready for that new adventure. Where are we going next? You know, okay, dad. And I was very resistant to it. I would, you know, bang yeah. my hands on the counter. Like, I can't believe you're doing this to me again. You know? Um, and I look at my, I've got three kids and I moved my kids like a mile down the street. You would have thought I was moving them to <laughs> Mars. It was like, I was tearing them out of their childhood home. I'm like, you're literally moving a mile down the street. And, and I, I get upset about that sometimes because I don't feel like they've been able to find that adaptability that yeah. I did as a child, you know? I think, I think, you know, there's a really interesting thing about like change and change related to trauma and trauma could be, <laughs> you moved a mile. <laughs> Another trauma for someone else, me, they might've lost a limb right. and actually they're, they can sit in the same place and occupy the same amount of kind of space in your brain and in your body. And so I think even if your kids are just kind of, they're in that community and they're not going to leave. And that is not something you're going to be able to teach them like you grew up. So I look at micro change. Like, so I keep my kids guessing, doing new things, going on boat trips in the uh, uh, Trudeau Canal, um, doing weird things because I know they're not going to get the experience of like moving to Bermuda or moving to Hawaii so I think the micro change has just as much impact. Um, it was funny because their cousins, I have two boys and their cousins, we went on a trip up in uh, the Thousand Lakes and they, they, they uh, the cousins, they couldn't fall asleep in a different bed. They were complaining about bugs the whole time. And I'm like, my kids just were like, they just rolled out, went to bed because they're like, well, dad makes us do all kinds of weird stuff. So I think micro change could be another way you could address that when you're not going to move to a new base. Yeah, I love that. And I think my kids are definitely experienced to micro change. My kids would fall asleep wherever they had to. Um, like you're and I and I think that works. Yeah. And I but I think if you don't have that micro change and everything is just programmatic, rigid, I think later in life they struggle through what the world's going to throw at them and they can always learn, they can always adapt, but why not make them resilient at a young age? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about Under Armour. Um, I think, sure. you know, it's it's interesting because we all know Kevin Plank, um, but what many don't know is that you were the guy standing beside him in his grandmother's garage when the company was $17,000. Yeah, yeah. You know, let, let's talk about what that journey looked like. You played lacrosse at University of Maryland and and that's how you met Kevin, right? At, in college. Right. Yep. Right. When I was ending college, we weren't college buddies. We weren't hanging out. We weren't, we met right at the end when we were both graduating because we're both the same age. Okay. And so he presents to you this idea of what? You know, it's funny is my buddy's kicking himself in the ass because my buddy introduced us <laughs> and instead of helping Kevin Plank himself, he introduced me to Kevin and he was like, oh, well, maybe Kip's not really, he keeps working like three jobs. Maybe he can help you on the side. So I had a mutual friend introduce us and, you know, I came to grandma's basement, checked out what he was doing. We had a bunch of stretchy shirts lying around and I was playing professional lacrosse at the time because I just graduated. So I went and I wore the product and he gave me some shirts and I gave it to a few buddies. 
And I came back the very next day. Like, I want to be involved. These shirts are amazing. And yeah, I did a lot of grunt work for many, many, many years. I held all kinds of positions, traveled all over the world. And we went from 17, I think we lost $17,000. I ran up probably a lot of money on my credit cards. I had like 11 credit cards we used to finance the company in the very early days because Kevin's credit sucked. (laughs) And um, yeah, it was, you know, one of those American stories that you just look back now and you're like, what the hell did we do? And it it was crazy. We learned a lot. It was like dog years of business, a lot of mistakes, a lot of learnings. So I wonder, like when you're when you're that small, it's literally some tech tees, stretchy tees in in a base. Not even any of that. Yeah. Well, two T-shirts, tight fitting shirts underneath football. Like, and, And you're like, I like this product. I have to imagine that there was pushback along the way you know, from investors. And how did you keep that belief in the product and what you were doing outside of all the naysayers? Yeah, I think I can give you uh, a little glimpse into Kevin. Kevin is an optimistic person. He believes in, in, it can be very infectious. I'm a little bit more of like, let's prepare for doomsday. And it's a good combination to have two, people that are very different. I think along the way, just like kind of a scientific study with like animals, when you have positive reinforcement, that animal goes back to that behavior. So in the early days, yeah, we had naysayers and we had some problems, but my God, did we have a lot of positive reinforcement. I love your stuff. Can I get more? Can I get some for my buddies? Can I use it for this sport? Have you ever thought about making it in long sleeve? Do you think you could make it in cold weather? Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So I think the positive reinforcement just shoots through you like, wow, this is euphoric. People really like what we're doing. Nobody understands the work we did. Like nobody understands the amount of work we did in the early years. If they weren't there, they don't understand. If they haven't done startups before, it is it's all encompassing. There is no, there, there is no gray area. And, and I will say that um, I got to give Kevin a lot of credit. I, I learned a lot from him. We're not super tight, but we consider each other like, you know, family. Um, we were business partners from the beginning. We weren't buddies. Right. So he said, do this, Kip. I did it. I didn't argue with them. I mean, we got in arguments as we got older and we grew the company, but in the beginning years, you know, like he, I, I just did my job. Yeah. I, you know, so our organization was founded 15 years ago and we grew from this small memorial fund into one of the largest veteran service organizations in the country. And one of the things that I'm challenged with the most is when people's, you know, and, and people are starting nonprofits all the time. And sure. I love talking to people about, what they're doing and hearing their ideas. But the question I'm always challenged on is like, well, how did you do this? Like, how did you get from where you were in 2008 to where you are today? And I don't have that answer because it it was obviously a lot of different things, but for us, it was not so much this like belief in what we were doing and that, you know, we were the best in the business. And it was 
more of this kind of groundswell of support. And so I see like when you say like people were saying, we love this, we make more, yeah. take long sleeve. Can long you imagine if that wasn't there? Right. Right. Yeah, no way. You can't be successful. I think the community, one, people want to see people succeed, especially when it starts small. Yeah. Hey, um, my dad owns a huge hedge fund. Uh, I went to Ivy League. He gave me like 60 million and we're going to start this apparel company. Hey, do you want to be involved? That feels gross. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, nothing against anybody that has that. I appreciate that you had. I did not have that. I got a Casio watch when I graduated college and I was on a full scholarship and nobody gave me anything. Um, so they want they wanted you to win in those early days. They wanted you to win. I think as you get bigger and Under Armour has now gone through a lot of changes, a lot of tough times. Um, I'm sure they're going to come out on top. I don't have anything to do with them anymore, um, but I know they'll win eventually. The The early days, people want to see small stories succeed, and that is contagious. Yeah. It's David and Goliath. And, you know, we used to do a lot with the Wounded Warrior, right? And so now you come in and you fill a void, maybe a little bit different. Maybe your your motives, your beliefs are a little bit different. Maybe the way you project, interact with the veterans Nike and Adidas, Puma, Reebok, nobody was saying, give us another sports brand that makes like crappy sweatshirts. So you've got to really believe. But if you don't have that community of support, it's really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's what we had. We had just this broad community of people that believed in us and believed in our mission. And but it's hard. And then there was probably someone behind the scenes who was tenaciously committed, unbelievably purpose-led. And yeah. that, that might've been you. There was, there was a lot of other people that did that too, but um, yeah. Well, it, I know you're, I know you and your family went through a lot, so I'm sure it fueled a lot. Sure. It became a passion. You know, it, it became like our life's purpose after my brother was killed. It was like, okay, well, how are we going to continue his service? And how are we going to make sure that we are bringing light to this community of men and women that are stepping up and giving their lives each and every day as again we go about our daily business in in so you you attached yourself to a bigger cause and that leaves room for growth so you when you attach yourself to something that's really short and obtainable you get short growth when you attach yourself to a greater cause and, you know, we are a for-profit business and, you know, we became public in 05 and you got to return shareholder value and all this blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, we, we attached ourselves to the belief that this brand was different and unique and was for athletes by athletes where at the time, and I still think today, those other brands are, are, are corporations. Yeah. I mean, and that's a, that's, that's a big difference. And we see that. We see that in our partnership with Under Armour. Um, they are, it is less about the transactional part of the partnership. And it's more about that they really want to help elevate our brand. And, Good. you know, I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit. You know, you said you, you, you met Kevin at University of Maryland. You played lacrosse there. Um, I'm a former collegiate lacrosse player, though it was Division Three. 
but I have a daughter that is just got uh, committed to play division one lacrosse in college and where at at the Naval Academy. Yeah. So, um, so we're super excited for her. It's awesome. And, you know, and, and I also, I should say, I also have a cousin, um, that was the top recruit in the nation that's going to play at, um, university of Maryland. So, uh, oh. yes. So they're both coach, coach Tillman was a teammate of mine and, um, lacrosse is a, is a, is a small sport, but really, really women's lacrosse, I will say is dynamically changed the most in the last 15 years and so many great programs and really competing around the country with soccer now. So it's really, it's really cool to see. Uh, yeah. Lacrosse gave me a chance. I, I was a military brat. We didn't have lacrosse in Hawaii. We didn't have lacrosse in Bermuda. So really the first time I played like hardcore um, was my junior and senior year in high school. And then I had this dream. I had a poster of Gary Gate and Paul Gate up in my room and I wanted to play in the national championship. And, I, and I'm dyslexic ADHD with an SAT scores that put me at prop 48. So less than 700 points. So I went to community college first. So I went to Essex community college, uh, was all American there, ended up getting into the hall of fame at Essex community college. And then I transferred to a state school and they couldn't say no because I was transferring credits from a state community college to a state four year they couldn't say no. I was like, this is perfect. They can't kick. They, they have to say yes. Yeah. And then I walked on the team and then I was two time all American and we lost in the national championship to Syracuse, which was still have nightmares about. Um, <laughs> but what a special sport. And we have done so much for me over the years. I would not be where I'm at without college coach Dick Adele. He, he was a he's a one time famous one of the best humans ever passed away recently. Um, but, um, just an amazing coach. Yeah. I, I started playing, <clears throat> I started playing in high school as well. Um, because it, they didn't even have lacrosse for women, uh, until you got to high school, um, Sure. back in the olden days. Um, my daughter started playing lacrosse when she was five years old. You know, I put a stick right. I know. Same with my son. Yeah. yeah I'm like, go. Um, and uh, I just, what I love so much about the sport and any sport, but, you know, lacrosse is a very tight knit community. And I think everybody, again, is is looking for watching this growth and the growth with the women has been extraordinary. And it's been so awesome to have a daughter kind of rise up as that growth is taking place. But I would say like one of the best things lacrosse did for her was give her unlimited opportunities. You know, she's a, she's a junior right now. She's, and she committed on July 1st of this summer at 15 years old. She knew where she was going to college and that's mind blowing to me. Yeah. And it's just the, you know, I am all about sports and I think whether you're an athlete or not, and you can, you can typically tell pretty early on if you have natural athletic abilities, but there is a place on the team for everyone. And so I've got three kids. They are all different athletic abilities, but they're all in sports and they're going to be in sports until they turn to me and say, I quit. But I see. I was. Yeah. The sports thing, not to interrupt you, but the sports thing to me is so special. As a student, it was struggling with learning. 
because I, I just learn completely different. I'm literally wired differently than 70% of the people in the world. Just the way my brain is, just the way I, it developed differently. Sports was the only outlet. It was the only way I could be worth something because I was an absolute nightmare in school. I was a problem child, grades, almost flunked out of high school, like figured it out later in life. I ended up like really figuring it out. And I, I graduated um, Maryland with honors, but sports was the only way to prove myself. And it, it was a place where it didn't matter what your grade were. I was going to absolutely dominate everybody because I was not that person in the classroom. Yeah. Ditto. So it, now to see athletes have great academics and great sports, to me, it was very, very different. It was sports and only sports. And if I didn't win there, I probably would have gone, I probably would have been an auto mechanic because my I had a high school guidance counselor be like, Kip, I don't think college is good for you. Have you ever thought of vocational school? And I was like, is that where you learn how to sing? Because I thought vocal, I was like, I thought he sounded me sing. So he's like, no, you can be an auto mechanic. Um, so I was like, no, I'm going to play lacrosse. And he's like, rolled his eyes. So proud of your daughter, Naval Academy, something special. So I hope, I hope she enjoys. That's really amazing. It's very hard to get into. That's very competitive. Yeah. Well, you know, and that was the thing for her. Obviously I was thrilled. She was going to my brother's alma mater. I have a deep love for the Naval Academy, but for her, she was like, no, I, I need to play for a, a, a top ranked school. Yeah. I was so the same way. If, if Naval Academy was not one of the best women's programs in the country, like she wasn't going there, you know? She, well, I mean, she could have gone to Maryland and gone to like the best, but I, you know, she's we, got one of her best friends is going to Maryland she, as well. We she know. could always transfer later. Would you? <laughs> Kathy Reese, Kathy Reese was going to school. She's the head coach there yeah. now. Her husband, uh, Brian Reese, we played together. So super attached to Maryland because all my friends are now coaching and leading and they were, uh, Kathy was an un unbelievable women's player herself, but it's fun to see your all alma mater do well. So I know Navy will continue to crush it and coach me for many years on the men's side uh, kind of played a special role. I just liked him as an individual, even though he wasn't my coach. Yeah. Well, I knew, I, I, I knew coach me well and, and Coach Tillman. Uh, was, yeah, Tillman was Naval Academy. Yeah. yeah, he was an assistant coach there when my brother was there. So um, I knew him as. I think he. I think he wore a uniform when he's there. He wore what? A uniform. <laughs> I think they made him like some sort of like gave him like a. I I don't know. I I might have the story wrong, but I could have sworn I saw him in uniform. And he's <laughs> not in the military. And you know, I had the same experience as you, where I was. I was a subpar student and I, I, it wasn't that I couldn't be a better student. I just didn't apply myself at all. I had like no desire for learning in high school. Um, and you know, and I was the complete opposite of my brother. He was, um, you know, had straight A's. He was an all American wrestler, all state in lacrosse, all state in football. And what I had was just, I could score a lot of goals uh, at low attack in. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't catch your throw to save my life, but nobody could beat me in a foot race. Yeah. So if I didn't have speed, I would have never, I would have never played lacrosse because I didn't have the stick skills, especially coming from Baltimore or Long Island. These kids of stick skills 
even when I was going to college, like I know everybody in the stands would hold their breath if I put it in the left hand because it was going out of bounds. Well, uh, my, my, uh, my magic bullet was that I was left-handed. I am left-handed. And right. so back in the day, I mean, my daughters just can play just as well with her left hand as her right hand. But in, you know, I graduated from high school in 98 and it wasn't even like you just played with your dominant hand. Yeah. And so my dad taught me early on because he played lacrosse in college as well. And he taught me early on how to play lacrosse. So I didn't get into the organized way until high school, but I was playing lacrosse with him in the backyard and yeah. he would be like, you have to be ambidextrous. That's <laughs> how you do it. So I could roll the crease on both sides and that's all now that I was a champion. That, was, that wasn't me. <laughs> that, trust me. No, none of my teammates would talk about my stick skills. Yeah. So, so Okay, so you you leave Under Armour and you try some different things. And the first thing, because you actually just put out a post about it just recently, I saw um, you started like a it was like a vintage truck business. You were talking about yeah, I I uh, yeah, I struggled after I left. I'll be honest with you, it's coming off of a high of a twenty one year run having amazing growth, thinking you can do anything. So I, I liked cars, trucks. I bought a custom car shop. I had about 17 guys. We made some amazing products. The business model per se was a complete wash. I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I lost my ass on it. it but I kept three of the guys that were best master builders uh, and body guys. And I started a brewery, a big truck farm brewery. Uh, we've been growing hops and grain and I taught auto mechanics. I didn't teach them. I hired a guy from Corvallis, Oregon to teach my crew how to make craft beer. And we've now been doing that for about three years. It's going really well. I'm not a huge drinker. I'll have a beer or two if I earn it. Um, so we promote kind of an earn it mentality, you know, hike, fish, hunt all day long, crack a cold one at the end of the day. We're trying not to promote, um, you know, the kind of spring break drinking. Our tap room is really amazing. It's got a old timber frame barn. Uh, please come anytime you're in Maryland. Um, fun, new business, not a lot of learnings from the footwear and apparel space, but how to build a brand, how to scale, how to operate. And then I got involved with, with Origin and now I'm a partner with Origin, which is Pete and Jocko and Made in USA and also with Jocko Fuel. So I got my hands in a lot of different things. I will say because I'm ADHD, I have a large capacity for a lot of stimulus all the time. If I don't have it, I I can get in a little bit of a depressed mood. Find out with people with ADHD, they have a low baseline of dopamine. So just to stay normal, I need stimulus all day long because my baseline is way lower. You can do risk taking and that could have some drugs and alcohol can play into that. But for me, it's business. Like, come on, let's figure this out. Give me some. You got a problem? I'll figure it out. So I'm a slow learner, but I retain a lot once I learn it. And I like these brands. I believe in all of them. And they're all doing really, really cool stuff with amazing products. Yeah. That's what I like. I'm a product guy. So like Origin, I'll see your posts where, um, you know, you're wearing the product and you're very specific about like, I'm going to cut this down a half an inch here and I'm going to think about this here. And, you know, when Jocko's posted about origin, he's like, sweet shirt, good, 
by, you know, it's, 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 but, but you are very technical in, and I just did it. Yeah. And yeah, cause you did it. Right. But, um, the one thing too, about origin is that it's American made. And 100%. yeah. And American fabric, American fabric, American. I don't, I want to pause on that. Cause maybe your viewers don't know this. I, I, it's really important to say you can put a made in USA label in the back of a garment and the fabric is from Asia. Hmm. I didn't know that, that doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense to me. And Pete and Jocko don't play by those rules. So our standard is above the government standard. What does that do though? I mean, obviously there are, they have like this, you know what politicians do. They create this language that is like an art form of, con artists if your garment is less percent made of x fabric that equals less value than the make in the states and blah 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 then you're allowed to put a main usa in it so you buy cheap ass fabric and you sew it in the states they consider that sewing more valuable than the cheap ass fabric so you're allowed to put made in usa so our cotton is from texas and louisiana and georgia um, and it's in mills in the United States. And I was a part of offshoring. I took manufacturing out of the United States. We used to, I had 16 factories in the Lehigh Valley and I moved them to Honduras and Asia with Under Armour. So it's kind of fun for me to now be on the other end of that, looking at our country going, hmm, what's best for the long haul? Right. The best is we can do a lot right here. And so it's it's I'm super excited and Pete and Jocko uh, were gracious gracious enough to let me be involved. But what's the barrier to that? So I, I mean, what challenges does that present? There's no skills. It's all gone. Everything's gone. Everything moved. How to sew? How to cut? Like there's some berry amendment stuff for the military, and the military gets provided a lot of products that are from the U.S. But let's be honest, the military standard and like the typical consumer standard are very different. If we were to issue standard military that the grunts get and those dog faces in the army get and the Navy midshipmen get, people would be like, I'm not wearing this crap. It's rough stuff, yeah. you know, and you're a private, you're on a ship and they give you like a wool coat when it's cold and they give you some long underwear and it's like three sizes too big. That's what's made in the U.S. It's not very curated. It's not a lot of technology. And so you have to bring those uh, military-type factories up to consumer standards. That's the barrier. Yeah. Because consumers are not lowering their standards. Right. But do you also feel like, again, that's something that Origin presses big time in their marketing is that it is made in the USA from soup to nuts. How much of that do you think, frankly, matters to, not matters in general, but like matters to the consumer? Well, I would say 10 years ago when he started, not a lot. I would say that that sediment in the last 24 to 36 months has probably doubled. So if people didn't care, I think half of them do now. I will say it's a slow journey. It's an education period. And as it has a cause and effect in communities, I think people will see firsthand what it can do for our country 
what it can do for their local community. Uh, I think it's a long play. I think it's a smart play, but you're right. A lot of people like, yeah, yeah, rah, rah, I bought some jeans from Origin. And then they go to Target and blow it out with a bunch of Chinese crap. So, <laughs> hey, like we got to start somewhere. We don't judge. We just invite people into the story and, you know, try to give some more reasons to like stick with it. Think about it. And then it's our job to offer better and more products. Yeah. Well, and I see too, just in like the retail space, right? There's this big push for frankly, the waste that exists within clothing and apparel. So think about like these cheap ass stores where you go. I mean, my daughters do it. They go to this. Yeah, it's throwaway. It's not good for the environment. Yeah. And they buy like 20 shirts and they all cost 10 bucks a piece. And they're like, you know, and then, and then they wear them once. And I'm like, no, and they end up in a bag for me to give to Goodwill. And so there's this cycle where it's like, holy crap all this shit that is just being wasted, right? And not actually being like curating like what closet's gonna look like and investing in high quality pieces. And I've started to see some brands, um, not necessarily made in the USA, but some higher level brands that are doing like a resale. So I have a brand that I loved called Laleen and they make awesome sweaters. Um, it was an editor at Vogue, started the company. Uh, her husband was a, a recon Marine. And um, and I love their sweaters, but what they do is they'll take it back. So I can yeah. I can resell that sweater to them. You know, two years later, they put it on their website. And I can- End to end. Yeah, I can also go on and buy you sweaters. I'm like, I don't need a brand new one. I, I think you're gonna, there's, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. Um, I think that there's a company that you can send your gear to in Utah and they'll resell your gear for you. Backpacks, uh, outdoor products. I think with Origin, high quality, it lasts a long time. I will say at Under Armour, I have people today come up to me and go, I still have that mock turtleneck from 2001. So I believe brands that invest in quality and get away from consumerism at its core, which is sell anything at any cost, regardless of its impact. And I will say a lot of corporations are stuck in that vicious cycle, mainly because they're public and they have to turn over growth and shareholder value. Origin's a private company. It's investing in quality, longevity, craftsmanship, durability, and they stand behind it and they get products that blow out and they take it back and they send you a new one and said, sorry, we'll fix it. Or, you know, that was a defect and they stand behind their product. So I also like the resale thing. I think you're going to see more and more of that. I also think the economy is going to tighten and people are, are not going to just constantly buy new, new. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of being the person that goes into target. We all are. Yeah. And I'm, you know, because we're brainwashed. Right. And I spend a bunch on shit I don't need. And, you know, and it's because it, they, they've marketed to you that consumerism is going to give you some chemicals that make you feel good. So you feel good why they zap the life out of you. Yes. That's consumerism. Now, is there some pros and cons to it? I'm not I'm a capitalist. So I just I believe capitalism with morals is probably the way to go. I like it. And you know, you're, you're on the board at Jocko fuel, right? Correct. So I had, I got to taste my first 
Just, oh, I saw you at the game. Yeah. yeah my first protein drink. Um, and so Joe, um, uh, Maskey Antonio, there you go. Um, he, he's, 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 I don't know what he does with Jocko fuel, but he's the head of sales. Yeah. He does something big. Um, so Joe actually lives in my town. Um, yeah. Joe is the man, which I had no idea until I'm talking to Leif Babin and, and, and it comes up, Jocko came out and spoke at our gala and Leif's like, I got to connect you with Joe. You know, he lives in Doylestown. I live right outside of Philadelphia. And I'm like, what? So anyway, Joe and I got connected and they brought Jocko fuel to our company because I said, Jocko's staying for Army Navy. They brought the truck. It was awesome. And I have to tell you, I drink a lot of protein shakes and I was embarrassed when I, when I told them that like my favorite one and it's, it's junk, but isogenics, I don't know if you've ever had isogenics. Oh, I know isogenics. Yeah. I mean, it, I have no idea what's in it. It has a lot of protein and it tastes freaking delicious. It probably has. Oh, their milk. Too. Their milk is going to take over the world. It's healthy and it tastes unbelievable. Yeah. It's literally that one product is going to, it's going to take time. It's new. People don't know it yet. We're trying to get it out there, but it is a phenomenal product. 30 grams of protein. It's good. Yeah. So when, so they stuck a bottle in my hand and they're like, here, taste it. And next thing you know, they've got their camera up and I'm like, oh shit. You know, I, I want to be they- here. And I took the sip and I'm like, this is freaking good. Like legit, this is good. So. Well, if you're a caffeine drinker, I'm a big coffee guy in the morning. I do it after my cold baths, try to warm my, warm myself up. They just got, and I don't have the, um, the test report myself, but I think they're going to share it with me. They got a test back where they did some clinical trials on their go, which is their energy drink. And it blows away other energy drinks in terms of healthy it's really healthy for you. And the effect of the nootropics and the caffeine it has, it's like, I don't know, caffeine has like a spike of like 60 to 80 minutes. And their their focus from their drink is like three and a half, four hours compared to like coffee at 60 minutes. They got some really crazy tests because they're trying to prove like, hey, this is not just good for you. But it actually has better attributes than, you know, because what happens with energy drinks and coffee is you go up and then you crash. Yeah. And so the more you can smooth that curve, it's a better user experience. We don't get those jitters. You don't get that like hunger or that like weird feeling in your tummy. And so they got some really cool reports. I'll probably did a bad job of explaining it, but <laughs> they are like, they're like trying to hide it because it's so good. They're like, how are we going to tell people about it? People aren't going to believe us. So it's really good product. And that's because Jocko and Pete are business people with morals. They want people, what are you going to do? Give someone an energy drink that ruins their liver? Does that feel good in life? Right, right. Hey, Ryan, drink my monster. Drink Red Bull. Nine years later, you have liver issues. I will, I'll just delete your phone number. I'll act like I didn't push it on you. These energy drink companies have wrecked havoc on people's lives. They're not healthy for you. And if the large military crowd out there, they consume them, I would suggest everybody look at what they drink um, and really find alternatives. I think Jocko Fuel offers a ton of great alternatives. And if not, like drink some coffee and water and get off that stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, I remember being in Florida. I was at a tournament with my daughter 
last year in Florida over the winter and her and all her friends would like chug Celsius's before the game, right? That, that energy drink Celsius. And she came off the field at halftime and she's like, mom, my heart feels weird. Like, <laughs> and I was like, that's it done. And I don't really drink caffeine. So I've never had, um, I've never had an, a Jocko go. Um, and I was talking to him about it because I've never been a coffee drinker. I maybe drink some tea. Well, I yeah. drink a lot of tea, but most most of it's herbal. So, um, but I rarely have tea with caffeine, and and I have the, you know, slight indulge in a diet coke every once in a while. So I'm not. I don't. I do not need caffeine to perform or move throughout the day. Um, but I was talking to him a little bit about, you know, and he was sharing some of what you were just saying. Um, just in terms of the optimization of the caffeine that's in these energy drinks. Um, and I took that and I was like, this is Maggie. That's it. You're never drinking a Celsius again. You know, you're, you're 15 years old. You do not need this to go out on the field. And, um, but I love kind of the science behind good caffeine, yeah. bad caffeine and what, you know, there's a big difference between chugging, you know, these 24 ounce monster energy drinks that you grab in Wawa, you know? That's a tough place to be. We, you know, when I was in college, we, we boiled tea, caffeinated tea. We called it death tea. And we'd get it so dark and so thick. And we would do shots of it before the game. And I think I felt like your daughter drinking Celsius. <laughs> um, I just, I think people need to be aware that corporate greed at every level is there for profit it is not there for them. Yeah. These corporations do not care about your health, your daughter, your loved ones. They don't care about your community. They want every damn thing out of your pocket they can get. And it's rampant. And, and I was an officer at a public company. Uh, I believed, uh, and I still believe Under Armour's mission is to make all athletes better. And they've done an amazing job over the years. But a lot of people lose their way. A lot of corporations got to recenter themselves on doing what's right. And I actually think it helps you grow. It, I think people that do right actually is a growth strategy. And I think people are going to start to learn that. So you've, you know, you've taken all of this knowledge over the last however many years. And from I'm 50. So, yeah, it's many, many years. <laughs> So you, on top of doing this with Origin and, and, and Jocko Fuel, you also launch this thing yeah. a couple of weeks ago called Method Mindset. And basically it's you teaching people, well, you can explain it better than me, but from what I got, it's teaching people how to be entrepreneurs. And one, yeah, one of, one of my skills, thanks for bringing it up because it's a super passionate project of mine. The the amount of compressed knowledge I got in 25 years with the world I lived in and my brain, I'm a pattern recognition ADHD. I, I recognize patterns and then I use those patterns over. I don't create the patterns. I don't come up with ideas. I gleam what I see work and I retain it. And so all these little nuances that I was a part of, I retain it. And so I was like, you know what? You got to put it down on paper, Kip. This is really, people could really use this. 
but they don't learn like you, or maybe they're different, or maybe they're busy. How do I condense it, make it easy, make it consumable? It's for business people, but what I've learned is if it's good for business, it's good for life. Yeah. Like, hey, uh, you should have a business plan in business. Well, yeah, mine's a business plan and people show it to me. I'm like, that's not really a business plan. In life, you should have a business plan. What are you going to do this year? What are you going to do next year? What are some of your goals? So I, that's where the method and the mindset. And then the mindset is like, hey, you got to be a grinder. You got to be tough. You got to be committed. You got to understand that there's some stoic ways you need to go about. You have to detach. You're going to lose but you're going to win eventually if you stay with it. So it is method of business and entrepreneurship and mindset, which is the part that gets people tripped up when things don't go right, or it's harder than they expected, or it's longer than they expected. So I launched a class called Method and Mindset. We got a thousand people signed up. Yeah. Um, I had to rethink it. I did not expect that. It blew me away. I thought I was going to get like six people. Be like, yeah, Kip's amazing. Um so we're going to launch videos and a workbook, and I'm going to do some long engagements with about 20 people where I get deep into their business and I like push them hard, push them like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And hope share some of my experience. So I, I do appreciate you bringing it up. It's a passion because I think people need control in their lives. If we lost anything over the last three years, it's control. Totally. You guess who came out really, really well in the last three years? People that have substantial value. They were less affected. So if we can get more people to add value in their life, financially and mentally, I think that is something that can play across many communities. So they are in control of their destination. Because it, it's it, that's why I did it, to give what I know. I'm not perfect. Like, I'm not special. I just retain a lot. I regurgitate it back. And I put it in a way that I think people can, can consume it and learn from it. So try not to be egotistical, like, hey, take my class. I know a lot. But I'm like, yeah, well, shit, I do know a lot. I mean, you know, uh, if somebody says, hey, you can sign up to learn more from the co-founder of one of the largest corporations in the country, like, yeah, you're, why wouldn't you do that? So I get it. I don't think it's being egotistical. And that's awesome. A thousand people. Um, and yeah, it was on my Instagram. So I didn't do anything except put it on my Instagram. That's the only so, place you put it out was on Instagram. That's where I saw it. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. That's very cool. And it's called, yeah, it's called Method and Mindset and people can sign up and they can follow along. And I already have other people that are going to do uh, Method and Mindset. So I have uh, endurance and toughness. And then I have uh, mental control that I'm going to do uh, with a buddy of mine who is a world-class spear fisherman that can hold his breath for like six minutes. So I'm actually going to keep doing this with classes that people can learn about a lot of things, method and mindset. And I just believe it makes everybody better. Why wouldn't we all want to be better? Yeah, I love it. Um, okay. So you touched on something. I had all these topics like bullet points to talk to you about. Um, and I don't want to take too much of your time, but no, I'm good. You're a big hunter. So, um, and that's something that seems like is a, is a super passion for you. Yeah, I grew up with it, been doing it my whole life. My dad's from Great Falls, Montana. I was four or five years old and, you know, getting dragged. I think I remember sleeping on the back of a hindquarter of an elk to stay warm in the mountains. 
Uh, so, yeah, no, it's a heritage for my grandfather and my father, my brother and I. My, my dad, after Vietnam, got more into bird hunting and trout fishing because he kind of got just like the big game and the blood that comes with it. My dad suffered a lot of uh, kind of things about hospitals and blood, and he just stayed away from that for 30, 40 years. So I actually wasn't taught big game hunting by my father, even though we were an outdoor hunting family. And I just, I'm super passionate about the outdoors. I think it's an equalizer for young people. I think it's an equalizer for adults because it adds context that you are a small, small piece of this world. Yeah, totally. And when you spend all your time in the concrete jungle, you think that's life. And I can tell you right now, we are a part of this earth. M mankind tends to think they're the top of the evolution. And, and uh, a million years from now, we won't be here. We're not the top of the evolution. The trees, the skies, the mountains, that's the top of the evolution. So it holds a kind of spiritual value for me. And I'm a bow hunter. So um, the, a little bit different. I grew up gun hunting, but I've dedicated kind of bow and arrows a pain in the ass. You got to get close and you got to be good. Yeah. What do you think? So I've, I have an eight-year-old son that tells me that he wants to hunt. He just awesome. started, just in the last couple months, he started telling me that he wants to hunt. He got, you know, I bought him a few BB guns at Tractor Supply, and now all of a sudden he wants to hunt. And I think it's great. But my friend was like, you know, uh, uh, you know, he's eight years old. He's like, I take him out with me to deer hunt, but like, that's not going to be fun for an eight year old. Like, just. No, I think fishing, fishing's great. He already does yeah. the fishing. So he's got, okay. like, if you're looking at what's the first thing, I mean, I don't, you I did it with my kids. Yeah. What did you, what do you take him out to hunt? Mainly we fish and we deer hunt, um, okay. but they're a little older. They're they're eleven and thirteen now, but they've been deer hunting since they were six and seven. Um, I did it in short spurts. I didn't make them stay out there long periods of time. If they at any time said they're done, I let them go. Okay. I take them out. Yeah, because that was not the experience I had growing up. But if I said I wanted to go, my dad said, "Sit down and shut up. Uh, we're going to be here for a while." Um, but it also turned me off to certain aspects of it. So I'm very, like a lot of people are like, oh, you got to gut the animal and make them eat the deer blood. So when they shot their first deer, hey, I have to clean it. We got to prepare the meat. Do you want to help? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, eventually you're going to learn, but if you're not ready yet. So I just try to take it in small chunks. They will be able to do it all when they're 18. But did I care if they could do it when they were 8, 9, 10, or 11? No, it's about the journey. So I think rabbit hunting, squirrel hunting, or just walking around the woods pointing out what the ethical way to hunt is. Hey, what are the seasons? Well, let's, let's shoot this bird. Hey, that's not in season right now. We can't do that. So you can do hunting things without actually hunting. Yeah. And so a lot of our hikes, they're kind of like hunt hikes. I talk about like, oh, look at that. That's a deer rub. Or, oh, hey, did you know that's a coyote scat? Um, hey, that's a raccoon footprint. So there's a lot of aspects of being a outdoorsman or an outdoors woman that you need to learn the woods. So I kind of focus on those things versus like, you got to sit in a tree stand for 11 hours and freeze your ass off. Yeah, I... 
so I'm not, I don't want to say I'm, I'm not, I'm an outdoorsy person. I've never hunted in my life, but you had done, um, you went on, you, you have to explain it more, but you went somewhere. Was it, did you go to Alaska? You did something. I've been going to Alaska for many, many years. It's, it's, it's where I'll die. And it's, uh, where, where I'll, it's where I'll perish this earth. And I'll probably lather myself up in peanut butter and go fight a bear when I'm older. Um, it'll be like that guy, the guy that got killed by the bear. Yeah, well, he kind of did it uh, uh, you know, not on purpose. Mine will be on purpose. Okay, okay. Alaska is a very, very massive and substantial place to just be in. It's like church to me. It is like I don't, I can't go to Russia or like some of these other places that have bigger woods than us. But um, yeah, it's eye-opening how alone you are. Yeah, well, that was the one thing when I was kind of, and and I, you were pretty sporadic because you were in Alaska, but like looking at that and then following other people that do these very solitary hunts in these remote places, that's the one thing that would scare me the most um, about a situation like that. Like this, this idea that, I mean, again- so I have a rule. If you're scared of it, yeah. you must do it. Okay. <laughs> so now you got to do a backcountry Alaskan trip with like one other person 300 miles away with bears all around. Cause if you're scared of it, you got to eliminate that from your brain, but it, it is intimidating. I mean, I typically subscribe to that in my life. I, I <laughs> if I'm scared of something, I will try it, but I would have to ease into a situation like that. It couldn't, I couldn't go from zero to a hundred. I'd have to do. Yeah. I understand that. That's probably wise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing and, and Sean is, is back here and he said, his brother, I'll just tell you, his brother is a, is a super fan. So when I told Sean, oh, I've got this guy, Kip Folks coming on, he's like, oh my God, my brother loves Kip Folks. He follows you. And, and he was like, you got to ask him, you know, he takes an ice bath every morning. And I'm like, yeah, I saw that. I'll ask him. But obviously everyone on social media is posting about their stinking ice baths. Like I can't scroll through without watching everybody's morning ice bath. Um, and I hate the cold. Like if you told me I got to be in a sauna five days a week, done. I can do that all day, every day. But the cold is something that uh, it, I, I'm affected physically and mentally by. The no, cold. it's a, yeah, no, your nervous system is wired, right? What you're talking about is there's something that's so core to who you are that it's, 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 braided into your nervous system. And in order to ever move past that, you would have to go through substantial therapy to redo your nervous system. And getting into cold water rewires your nervous system. And for me, I'm low on dopamine, my baseline dopamine. I've been doing cold baths for a while, but I will say that I've learned about it from people like Hoffman, and Andrew Huberman. And as it's become more and more popular, I'm learning more and more about it. But why I first started doing it is because my baseline dopamine is way lower than the average person. So going into the ice, I get a shoot of dopamine that lasts me from three to six hours. I am focused, I am productive, um, a whole bunch of other uh, things it's good for you. It creates brown fat, cardiovascular, it actually helps you with cold exposure. So you get less cold in cold environments, which could save your life one day. 
But I can tell you the first time I got into it, I looked like a a, a, a six-year-old kid. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't stand it. I got out within like 11 minutes or 11 seconds. Now I can stay in 11 minutes. I rewired my nervous system. It's wild. Yeah. It's wild. I mean, you know, no pun intended, but I feel like I need to take the plunge because I, I have, like, I've... I've listened to a ton of, you know, 11 minutes a week, not all together, not all at once, you know, throughout the week changes, rewires. I'm four to five minutes a day. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing was that it makes you, it enhances your cold exposure where you can handle, like I walk out and I've got to be, I don't, I don't even, I don't even shiver anymore. Yeah. Well, that was the thing I was going to say. So when I went back on, when, when Sean's brother, Seth was like, make sure you talk to him about his ice bath. And I looked at, I mean, you've been posting it every day and like you glide in like that's 75 degree water. Like it, it, literally you have no physical reaction to getting in, in your ice bath. So. Oh yeah, no. So right now my, I think my bath is staying right around 36 degrees, 37 degrees but because it's cold out. I'll have to dump ice into it when it gets warm but i literally have been in it so much now um i actually started this a long time ago i'd say two and a half three years ago but recently i had surgery and i was really nervous about my surgery it was a massive surgery on my leg i had a 90 percent blockage in my femoral artery uh, from a childhood injury so i wasn't getting blood to most of my body at least oxygenated blood and i was nervous about surgery and so the the cold bath helped me calm down I did the surgery and I kind of did cold baths like once a week. And I was like, no, Kip, it's, it's once a day. It's a part of your life. Um, it sucks. I hate it. And I love it at the same time. It's the weirdest relationship I've ever had. Well, I mean, it's kind of like working out, I guess, to some degree. I mean, I hate- I like, I like working out. This one- <laughs> Oh, you hate this even more. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm-, I'm- I'm being brainwashed into trying it just because it floods my social media at all times by everyone. And so I'm like, I got to give it a go. Um, Cause I do the sauna thing. So I bought one of those. Uh, I don't have, I, I, we, I've got you a, have the blanket. I got one of those blankets and I, I have one. Yeah. And I was hesitant about it. Cause I was like, is this really going to have the same results as, Oh man, those things crush you. Yeah. And so it was like the first time it was like, you know, don't go above a level four and stay in for 20 minutes. And I was like, whatever, like I, I can be in the warmest of environments and still be like, I need a sweater. So I'm like, I'll be fine. (laughs) And I got in and I'm like, holy shit, this thing works, you know? So I bought one too. When I was at Under Armour, we launched sleepwear with Tom Brady called, um, it, it, it had sur- a ceramic coating on the inside that reflected uh, infrared heat back into your body. And so your blanket is infrared heat. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a ton of studies what what infrared does. It opens up your vascular system. It allows more blood flow, better circulation. Blood, people don't understand. Blood is the life. If it's not getting around well and oxygenated and Working out can constrict your blood. Uh, DNA could constrict your blood, your heart health. So that infrared that you're doing in that blanket, 
it is it is really really good for everybody and it's a cheap way to get it. instead of building a ten thousand dollar sauna you buy one of those for a couple hundred bucks and they work really well yeah but you do have to make sure i will say if anybody's looking to get one of these infrared blankets there's really only two or three brands um that have like good ratings on them a lot of them are if you're buying one that's under five hundred dollars um i would say don't get it uh i i i did a crap ton of research before i bought one for myself and my dad and um i i ended up getting the my high um there was the higher dose was a brand and then my high is the brand i got and uh well that's good yeah I, someone gave me, um, someone close to me gave me mine. So I didn't know how much they were. She said it was a couple hundred bucks, but clearly it was more than that, but I, it's a higher dose. I, I think that's the brand. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the, the top rated brand out there right now. But, um, but I see the benefits to that. Like I get out of that and I'm like, whoa, now I think, I think it's the same thing with cold, Like they all play a role. They're all pieces. And there's a very complicated Rubik's cube. And most people look at one side of the Rubik's cube, usually work out and eat. That's kind of what's been one side. And I think we're starting to learn as a culture, as a society, and some of the early innovators and adopters, this has got so many sides to the Rubik's cube. And because technology and information is changing so fast, we're going to be doing things four and five and six years from now that are totally fringe right this second people are saying radical they're going to be the norm right. like cold baths infrared uh, uh supplements all these things are going to just mind meditation they're going to be the way to heal in the future i do not believe in our medical system um and i do not believe in the traditional medicine it is uh it hasn't advanced to where the human body they don't know what the human body, you go to a doctor and you have some sort of heart problems. They don't even tell you to change your diet. They prescribe you some medicine. They don't even tell you to change your diet. Well, you should probably stop eating so much red meat. And that's about all they say. And then they say you should take this cholesterol medicine. Well, cholesterol is what's in your brain. And you don't want to reduce the cholesterol that's in your brain because that leads to dementia an early onset of a lot of things. So we are going to go through a whole host of changes and it's going to start with your infrared blanket. <laughs> there you go. Now, what did your, what is your take on, on sleep? How much do you optimize your sleep? Ooh, yeah, I'm not a great one for this. Uh, I probably don't sleep enough, don't but sleep. I, I have an overactive brain. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm in that five to seven range, that's really, really good for me. Um, I can operate without a lot of sleep and then I crash and kind of have to reset. I think for me, the sleep is less important on how many hours per day and more important about, do I get sun right when I wake up? I see a huge difference if I wake up and that's why I do my cold baths outside in the sun. And I try to do stuff in the sun for that first 45 minutes usually drink my coffee outside. That sun is the thing that sets your body clock. And without that early sun in the morning, you get off. So sleep's not great. I'm not a great sleep person. I really mess it up a lot because I work too much. Uh, but I think the early sun is a good way to combat that. 
I like that. And I've seen a lot of stuff about that, about getting, you know, 15 minutes of sunlight every morning. Uh, it's kind of hard up here in the Northeast for the sun to <laughs> much around this time, but uh, it's a little gray. It's yeah. a little gray. Yeah. It's gray sun, but I've had that conversation with Jocko when I had him on the podcast, because, you know, this, and, and I love it. I think he does a great job of, you know, pushing this, like get up and attack the day, but I'm like, I'm not getting up at four 30 Jocko. Like I, I like my sleep and I don't do well, but I am like you, I can go off a little sleep and then, you know, but I have to like recover that at some point. Like, yeah. I'm an early riser. I do think everybody's DNA has programmed them for what type of sleep and what sleep is important. And there's a lot of studies that show specifically in women um, that that early morning sleep is your best, deepest sleep. And when you don't get that, it wrecks havoc on your hormones. It wrecks havoc on your routine. So I think everybody needs to be not just be like, oh, I'm doing that because someone else is doing it. I think they need to figure out what's right with them. I'm an early riser. I like alone time. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an introvert. I am alone probably 85% of the time. That's how alone I am. Yeah. I, I mean, people, people are like, where's Kip? He's working, but I'm working alone. <laughs> um, I connect with people and I get shit done, but I'm an introvert. Um, so I think sleep's important for each individual and they got to figure out what's right. Yeah. And that's really what he said. He was like, listen, like my body does not require a lot of sleep. Like that's, he, he's like, I understand. Like my body does not require the sleep your body may require. Have you done that blood test that gives you your inner age? No, I don't want to do that. That's scary. Well, you may be 35. You don't uh, know. You should take it. Yeah. Well, if it was 35, I'll take it. Yeah. But. Well, there's a test you can take and it gives you kind of your inner age and Jocko, Pete and Brian, who runs product at Jocko Fuel, they're launching a new time war product that's really amazing for anti-aging and a lot of other things. And they did some studies where they started this product and then they tested their inner age at the beginning and end of this little kind of pseudo clinical trial that the three of them did. And they got some really cool results. But the beginning, the funny thing about Jocko is he's exactly the age he's supposed to be. <laughs> so clearly he's doing something to stay right where he is. Yeah. I think some people get their inner age and it's like, yeah, I'm 45, but it says I'm 56. That's not a good one. No. So um, there is some blood tests out there. I haven't done it myself, but I, but I'm thinking about doing it. Yeah, I'd be interested in that. Um, I might not share the results. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, listen, if it comes up that I'm like 32 years old, I'd share those results widely. You're like, we got to have a podcast, emergency podcast. Yeah. We have some new information. Solo episode, just about my internal age. Um, so I want to end on just talking a little bit about resilience. Um, and, you know, you talked a lot within this episode about kind of ADHD and you know, your challenges with it, but really didn't really talk about it as challenges, just kind of how you, how you deal with it and work with it within your life. And it seems like in some ways it's, I, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for you, but it seems like it's almost benefited you in some ways from a business perspective because you've handled it in the right way. Would you say that? I think it definitely can have some negatives if you have low self-awareness. Okay. Um, I think 
over the years, if I look at some of my business failures, um, whether it be with relationships in business, whether it be decisions in business, I could say I have low self-awareness. Where I have high self-awareness, I can use my abilities better. I think when it comes to just the topic of resilience, you know, if people are going through things, it's really hard to coach them on resilience, right? You got to do more. You got to stick with it because they're going through it. Yeah. So I believe in the times that you're doing well, you need to put yourself in stressful situations. I think you learn more in those good times. When you're going through trauma, it's trauma. <laughs> when you're going through things that you don't feel very resilient, the last thing you want to do is someone give you a book on resilience. <laughs> so I think you cre create those when you have some time to reflect and get after it. Don't wait. Push yourself now. Things are going good. Maybe you feel good. Maybe things in life are starting to turn around. Challenge yourself now because it's not going to stay that way and shit's going to go bad. Yeah. So you better be ready. So you better be ready. How does resilience show up for you in your everyday life? Absolute and utter detachment. Win is the only option at everything. Detach. Why do I detach? Because I F up a lot of stuff, right? So explain what, when you say detach, because Jocko and Leif use that a lot too. Like this, mm. like explain what you mean when you say detach. Yeah, so like some early examples of some of my interaction with, with Pete and Jocko on the origin side. I was pretty frustrated. These guys are doing this all wrong. They don't know anything about footwear and apparel. They've never built a big brand. And I was like, come on, come on, come on, come on. I was like, Kip, detach. Just, it is what it is. Are you a part of the journey or are you not? It's a way to step back, reflect without ego, and then get after it and then engage with that ability to detach. Detach doesn't mean you're aloof or you're hard to get a hold of or you don't have an opinion. That's not. It's the ability to reflect, recalibrate, and then get right back into it. And if you make mistakes, detach from the mistake. What are you gonna what are you gonna be your mistake your whole life? Right. Oh, I you know, I'm divorced or I'm an alcoholic or I had drug problems or I spent too much money or I gambled. Well, what do you want to do? You want to be that your whole time? I suggest you detach from that personality and be someone else. Like we all fail. So detach from the failures, detach from the winnings too. Because you think you're that effing good, you start to get complacent. Well, I started my own podcast and I started my own nonprofit organization. And we're one of the largest in the, we get, we raise more money for any, well, that sounds like maybe you're getting a little full of yourself. You need to get, detach yourself from that and get after it again. Yeah. So I think detach works both in winning and in losing. Yeah, I was being funny. You've done an amazing job, but I, you know, like that winning can almost be more detrimental. I will say it was detrimental for me. We killed it at Under Armour. I thought my shit was so shiny. Well, I could just start any business. So I can just do this. I could do that. Yeah. Millions of dollars later. Well, that's a lot actually, of mistakes. Yeah. And that's actually what I loved when you did that post on like your first business outside of Under Armour. You failed. And yeah. 
I thought like bad. Yeah. And I loved that. I love that you were that vulnerable to kind of share that story. Um, because, you know, somebody could say like Under Armour, it's like, it was all about the people that started it. Like anything they were going to do was going to turn to gold. Like, no, that wasn't it, you know? And so, um, but I, I, I appreciate that. I, I, I always wonder, you know, and again, when you say detach and then you say step back, reflect, and then get back after it. So um, yeah, I appreciate I would, I would like to say this because I know they support you and it was a large portion of my life, uh, almost 21 years. It was about the people. I worked with some amazing people. I learned a lot from a lot of people. And, you know, I didn't always treat people well. I was gung-ho, F people, we're going to take the hill no matter what. So if any Under Armour people were out there listening, sorry, I was an asshole, but I thought I was doing it for the right reason. Uh, but it is a, I'm, it's a great organization, and I'm glad they support what you're doing. Yeah, well, we are too. They're they're fantastic partners. I thank you for helping to start the organization. <laughs> um, and I thank you for your time today. This has been fascinating conversation, and uh, I'm I'm sure that our listeners are going to get a lot from everything that you talked about. We're going to put links up to uh, your method mindset uh, on our YouTube channel so people can see that. And awesome. And uh, Kip, thanks for joining us. It was a really really interesting. Oh no. no. My pleasure. And thanks to your team for setting it up. You know, did they tell you I tried to do this podcast like three times because I, I had the date wrong? Because what happens when you have ADHD? Dates don't mean anything. I'm dyslexic. People are like, it's on the third. I'm like, that's today. Today's the 30th. Well, the third, that's Friday. <laughs> Thursday? What's the third? So I was on going, why is Ryan late? <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe this woman. She's late to her own podcast. I had the wrong day. Never. If you're not 10 minutes early, <laughs> I know I would never be late. And yeah, my, my assistant said yesterday, she's like, yeah, Kip called me. And he was like, uh, what's going on? And she's like, no, 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 it's tomorrow. He's like, oh, I thought today was Friday. So I love it. Uh, thanks for joining us. This was awesome. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. And thank your team.